Well, the heart of our study that we've been going through with Ecclesiastes has been this, about the pursuit of meaning. And looking to answer questions like, what's our purpose in life? Why are we here? Uh, what is there to do in life that's worth pouring ourselves into, right? If we have all this time, if we have all this ability, all this energy, all these resources before us, what, what is worth investing in with our lives? How can we make a difference, leave a legacy, make a mark on our world? You know, with the Olympics going on, we're seeing all these different stories of all these athletes. And I don't know if you're like me, but I see some of these, and every once in a while they'll tie it to another Olympic. So four years ago, eight years ago, and I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. You know, how quickly we forget some of these other stories. And so it, you know, as we have walked through Ecclesiastes up until this point, we see some things that Solomon, the, the one who wrote this, has already been hitting on, that everything is ultimately meaningless. Because it will all waste away. We all, in the end, end up dead. Life is uncertain. You can live a righteous life and still experience that what you'd expect an unrighteous lifestyle to produce. You can live an unrighteous lifestyle and experience blessing in your life. Life is uncertain. Uh, you could go as far as say life isn't fair. And Solomon has brought us to this point where he says, really the best thing to do because of all this is, is he has pursued meaning in every aspect, every outlet of life. He comes to this point of saying, hey, eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy life in the ways that you are able to. Life under this sun. But he also doesn't stop there, but he ties it to eternity. Look towards eternal matters. Pursue your maker. Pursue your God in heaven who has made you and desires uh, for you to know him because he knows you. That kind of brings us to where we are. And, and last week we looked at this truth that there is hope in life. So even though uh, life under the sun is meaningless in one sense, but we, we can enjoy aspects of it, there's still hope while we're still alive. Remember that analogy said a, a live dog is better than a, a dead lion? And we put it back into his context and we see a dog wasn't a pet that we, we pamper and dress up, but it was a, a flea-bitten mongrel. mongrel. And, and this lion wasn't just this tame zoo attraction that we go and, and can see anytime we want, uh, but it was this king of the beasts. And so he better to be a living, dirty mongrel than be a dead king of the beasts. It's because it, if you're alive, there's still hope. There's still opportunity. Well, he's really starting to make a shift here in his final chapters, so much focus has been on this uh, pursuit of meaning. And, and we'll see some of that as well. What we're talking about this morning is going to tie back into this pursuit of purpose in life and this, this heart of meaning. But he really begins to say, okay, in light of all this, in light of trying to live uh, life in a way that you can eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy the parts of life under the sun that you're able, and in light of having an eternal focus, acknowledging that there's more beyond this and pursuing the Father in heaven, uh, he, he lays down some wisdom. As we go through Ecclesiastes chapter 10, um, some of this will be nice and in order, and of his other aspects, it's going to feel all over the place. I mean, he's just laying down all this wisdom, you know, kind of point after point after point after point. And so we're going to work through this here this morning. And um, I want you to see the value of wisdom. Because honestly, life is probably has been more challenging for some than for others. Now, sometimes that's based off of our external uh, circumstances, right? Things that we have no control over. Uh, maybe you've had a really rough upbringing or you're going through a real rough time now, and it's because of things that you have no control over in your life. Some of us, life is more challenging than for others because we've all been given different aspects of wisdom and understanding, right? Some of us, it comes really naturally, and we're gifted with all kinds of wisdom, like Solomon, not as much as him, but a high amount of it. And others of us, um, we don't have that much. And that's okay. 
But one aspect that we can control is what path we're going to walk. Are we going to be a man or a woman who walks the path of wisdom, or are we going to be a man or a woman who walks the path of a fool? If you're like me, when you think about this question, you, you probably find a, a foot in both camps, right? Now, I can think back and think of some foolish things I've done. This first one, I, I can't even imagine the context with which it happened. It was so silly, so foolish, so stupid that like, my mind has like, erased it from my memory. It's like, this isn't even, this didn't happen. No, this, this, this doesn't exist. But there was a time where I may or may not have said to my wife, whom I love dearly, who I don't think was even doing this, but the words left my mouth, I can't understand you when you whine. Not smart. Anyone who's married, take that as a lesson of something not to do. My wife is very gracious and very loving. Like I said, I don't even remember the situation. She probably wasn't even whining and I was a fool. Uh, another thing I, I, that my wife has asked me, she said, did you turn the breaker off? I was doing some work on our home, uh, replacing some outlets, and I said, no, I don't need to. I was wrong. I was foolish. Uh, this has been something that I've I had my whole life. In, in high school, when I uh, had my license, was able to drive. There was a time where I was just kind of burning the candle at both ends, if you know the expression. I was just really just kind of not getting good sleep and, and working uh, and going to school, and I was in a play, and uh, I was driving my sister's car at the time, and I happened to kind of nod off behind the wheel and put it in a ditch um, and hit a culvert and tread front two tires, and the whole engine dropped and pretty much totaled the car. Foolish. Um, another time in high school, I was at a friend's house. It wasn't even his house. He was house-sitting for a friend. And, of course, you get a bunch of teenage guys together. What do you do? You chicken fight. It's just the main thing you do. So we get up on each other's shoulders, and we quickly realize we're going to break something. So we need to find the most open space in the, room, in, the, in the house, which, of course, was the master bedroom. So we go up into the master bedroom, and we're doing chicken fighting. And, and me and my buddy, we, we were just unstoppable. And, and which was odd because I was on top and I was probably one of the heavier guys there and, and uh, he, was, he was holding me up. And, um, so that, actually, no, I take that back. I was on the bottom. He was on top. Anyway, uh, if you know what chicken fighting is, someone's on your shoulders and you're wrestling trying to knock each other over. And so we were winning, we were winning, and so our opponent was like, that's it. And they jumped the gun. We were doing, you know, three, two, one, go. And before he even said go, they jumped the gun. And so four guys are falling backwards. One guy's on shoulders. So you kind of have this butt pointed out there right into the wall, right between the studs put a big massive hole in the drywall. We almost got away with it. We kind of patched it and covered it up, but you know, we left the, the equipment out and the light shining right on it. So anyway, <laughs> foolish, foolish. And so I am no stranger to foolishness. And I suspect that, that you can relate to this in some aspect as well. But the good news is this, that we can always seek more wisdom. However much wisdom you have right now, there is more to be had. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And so in the very pursuit of wisdom, we see God's promise that he will meet us in that place and he will grant us wisdom. That's great news. So let's, let's pray to that end before we continue any further. Father God, we ask just for that. We ask for wisdom. We acknowledge that there are foolish things we've done, Father. Uh, sometimes it's just been a, a moment in time where we made a foolish decision and there was stupidity that ruled the day. Um, other times it's been a season of life, Father, where we've made foolish decisions and we've stayed in that place and continued to walk in that place, Father. First, I would ask that you'd bring to mind, bring to light, uh, help us to be thinking about the ways in which we've been foolish, Father. Help us to see our lives with your eyes and to see the areas of foolishness. 
And then, Father, I pray that you would grant us wisdom as we walk through Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Help us to see the lessons that Solomon learned in, in his wisdom and his experiences. Help us to learn from his mistakes. Father, I pray you would grant us wisdom in this time here. We thank you so much that your word promises that you'll meet with us and that you will grant us that. And so we thank you for that. In your name, amen. So let's jump right in. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. We, we, we ended last week with this. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Basically, if you're not convinced yet that it's worth pursuing wisdom over foolishness, we begin right here at the beginning of chapter 10. Foolishness is easy. Wisdom requires tools and skills and, and the, you know, the tool of knowledge and wisdom and then the putting it into use. Um, and you have all this work can go into wisdom, and yet, like a fly in perfume, all it takes is a little bit of folly to mess it all up. Th think of it this way. A picture, a seesaw in your head, uh, an industrial-sized, big, massive seesaw, and all the kids that we had up here, put them on one end of it, and then put like a, a sumo team on the other. You can have all these kids, but all of a sudden you have the sumo team, and they're just going to launch them, they're going to go fly them, because it doesn't take much. Just one bit of folly can outweigh a whole mess of wisdom. But there's still hope because we can gain more wisdom to the point where it overpowers our folly. At VBS this year, we had a tug-of-war competition and they always did different you know, groupings with each team. And at one point they said, let's do students versus the leaders. Now I'm watching this, I'm observing it, and they have all these students lined up and then they have a few leaders uh, and they're definitely leaders who are outnumbered. I'm like, yeah, but you still, I mean, there's some high school students, there's some grown adults. I'm like, they should be able to have this, no problem. And they get obliterated. I mean, just drug right across the line. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, one grown man, whether you're, you're, you, know, you work out every day, you're buff, you're, your biceps bigger than your thighs, or you're me, wherever you are in there, one grown man simply holding onto this rope would be enough to throw you know, the, the, the sways of how the, the competition went. I was wrong again. I jumped on there. We, we put everything we had, and we still lost because eventually you can see those numbers can outweigh. And so even though a little bit of folly can ruin a whole bunch of wisdom, if you're in a place where you say, Steve, I have all kinds of foolishness in my life, we can continue to be in a place where we add wisdom to our life and it overcomes the folly that we've already walked. But the other question we can ask of ourselves is what's the fly in our ointment? What's the internal struggle? What's the foolishness that we've allowed to be in our perfume that we haven't dealt with? Because I think that's some of the things that we're going to be thinking about here today as we look at what does it mean to be someone who walks a path of wisdom and not foolishness. So Ecclesiastes continues in verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, something that I've tried to drill into us here each and every morning is that each book of the Bible was written in a specific time period to a certain culture, to a particular people. Why is this important? Because if we don't acknowledge this, it's very easy to take things out of context. A lot of times what we do is we'll take our culture's current status and we apply that to Scripture. And that, that's the wrong way to go about it. Because if we do that, what does this say? This becomes a political statement that I'm surprised more politicians haven't grabbed. I mean, it's right there. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. I don't know why the Republicans haven't been all over this. But that's not what it's saying. That is not what it's saying. We need to start in the context with which it was written. 
And when we understand that, we see in Solomon's time, this concept of right wasn't uh, uh, one political direction, but was considered a seat of power, of righteousness, of, of purity. If you sat at the right hand of God, the right hand of, of, of the king, it was a place of favor. And the left was the opposite of that. And so you wanted to be in the path of, you wanted to be in the seat of the right hand and not the left. You want to be in the seat of power and strength and not the left. And so when we understand that, we can say, okay, well, there's a choice to make. We can either choose this choice of, of power and strength being at the right hand, make a path, uh, make a choice of wisdom, or a choice of foolishness. So that's what he's saying there in verse 2, and he continues. Verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. You know, a valid question we can ask ourselves um, is, am I being a fool? Am I foolish in my life? And what's interesting is, while there may be components we can see in our life, yes, you know, I've been a fool here or there, just the fact that we're asking that question acknowledges a desire for growth, right? It's just, help me to see, God, where I've been a fool so that we can take this next step and grow, whereas the fool is just out there saying, says to everyone that he's a fool. Fool looks at others and calls them out, but uh, someone who is wanting to grow and, and choose wisdom it's going to begin with humility. So if we desire to walk this path of wisdom, then we must begin with humility. Thursday and Friday of this week was the Global Leadership Summit through Willow Creek, and they, they host it at their campus as well as uh, many other churches. I think they have almost like over 500 in the nation and over 1,000 or close to 1,200 across the world. Um, but on the second day, uh, Danielle Strickland of the Salvation Army spoke, and uh, she was talking about humility. And she made this comment here about humility is agreeing with God about who you are. Humility is agreeing with God about who you are. Take a minute, just kind of think about the weight of that. Well, we can look at it from the standpoint of those who have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You can say, okay, well, I'm a saint. I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. And those are all great things. We also need to acknowledge our position before God before we receive Christ. We're a sinner. We, we've messed up this beautiful life that God's given us. We, we've messed it up with sin. We're a sinner in need of Savior. We need to be redeemed. We need to be refined. And even after we receive Jesus and, and been forgiven of our sins, there's still this ongoing process of being made more and more like Jesus. And so once we begin to understand who we are and what we're like, and we begin to acknowledge that we are not the center of our world, so you say, well, I know I'm not the center of the world, but I'm the center of my world. You know, with my family, my friends. I mean, I'm, I'm the center of their world, okay? But you know, I'm not, I know I'm not the center of the world, we're just theirs. No. God is the center of our world, both individually and corporately. And humility is an acknowledgement of that. The path of the wise is a path of humility. We have just some truth statements here, kind of based off what we see that we're unpacking here in Solomon's chapter 10 here. And one of the first ones, the path of the wise, the path of humility. If we want to choose this path to the right, if we want to choose a path of wisdom, it begins with humility. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. All right, so what's he saying here? He's saying basically, don't cut and run when your boss comes around he's mad at you. Or, or any, you put any authority figure in there, any ruler, anyone that would have a, a place of authority in your life, when they come and show up and they're angry, he's saying, don't cut and run. Don't run from that. 
but approach it with calmness. So we see, first he's saying, stay put. Why? Because difficult people are everywhere. So if your boss is angry with you and you're like, you're just fed up with it, I'm done, I quit, I'm going to go somewhere else, guess what? You're going to go to another place that has difficult people as well. And give it time, sooner or later, a situation will come up where someone in authority is angry with you. And then do you just cut and run again? No, Solomon's saying, if you want the path of wisdom, stay put. And approach one who is angry with calmness. Stay put and stay calm. And this may sound overly simplistic to you. It did to me at first. But think about the last time someone was angry with you. How did you respond? Have you ever done this where you're perfectly fine, all of a sudden someone shows up and they're mad at you, and you feel that, they, that they're unjustified in that anger? And so then how do you respond? If you're like me, you probably respond with anger. I'm mad that you're mad, because you, you don't have a right to be mad. And now we're allowing someone else to, in essence, control our feelings. Just because they're mad, now we're allowing them to control us, not that we're mad too? It doesn't make sense. Solomon's saying, stay calm. Stay put and stay calm, because that calmness will take care of all kinds of offenses. will lay great offenses to rest. So next time you find yourself in a position where a ruler or someone over you approaches you and they're angry, stay put and stay calm. The path of the wise is a path of calmness. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now some of these things when he says, I've seen this, um, these may be specific events that he's talking about. It may just be, hey, kind of in my life, you know, I, I can remember back to a time. and, and uh, We don't know what that is that he's referring to here. Basically he's saying that there are difficult people everywhere. There are fools everywhere. Fools end up in high places and the wise end up in low places. It's happened before and it's happening now. The wise path does not guarantee you a position of honor in life. Some aspects of life, if you choose a path of wisdom, following in those kind of decisions, you'll be cast aside. Um, if you're familiar with the show America's Got Talent, basically they have all these variety acts that come on and they do their show in front of a live audience and if it's good, they get to go on to the next round. If it's bad, they get buzzed and then they basically eliminate down so you have you know, one top act that gets a show. And they always have ones where I could hear good ones that might make it on. And every once in a while, they'll throw in one of these just ridiculous ones. And I just happened to catch uh, this one clip of this guy who comes out, full-grown man, comes out in a scuba suit. Not, no tank, just the scuba suit. And he's talking to the, the, the judges, and all of a sudden, he's ready for his act. And they carry out this big, giant little kiddie pool filled with something that looks like shaving cream or some kind of foam. And his entire act is to get up at the edge of it, put his arms out, and just falls face first into a pile of shaving cream. No skill, no talent. It, it was no effort. It, it's, it's foolishness. And yet, we're putting that up on television saying, hey, look at this guy. This is funny. This is, this is cool. And, and so it's not always wisdom that gets the honor in life. Integrity and character are celebrated less than folly and stupidity many times. Back when uh, some of the debate around uh, gay marriage and whatnot was a lot more prevalent in the news, there was a time where, if you're familiar with the name Josh McDowell, he's an author, he's written a lot of books on, on Christian apologetics. Well, he has a son, Sean McDonald, or McDowell, and um, he, uh, he's a pastor, author, and uh, basically he was approached by a media outlet 
to do a live interview on this topic of gay marriage uh, and how you would approach someone um, that was in that situation. And at one point, he you know, agreed to do it, and they're getting closer to the date, and they kind of asked him, uh, what is your belief? Well, what would you do? What are you going to talk about? And he basically um, honored God in his response and said that, you know, first and foremost, we need to uh, treat all people with love. You know, you see that we're called to love God and to love others. And so before anything else, we acknowledge that this is a person, these are people who are created by God, and then they approached in love. And he had a very sensible uh, response to them. He gets a call a little later and says, well, thank you for your willingness to be on the show, but we've gone a different direction. And then he watched the show to see who they went with, and basically they went with someone who's going to give that extreme viewpoint just to stir things up. And so here you have someone full of wisdom and sensibility who is lined up for the interview, and they cast them aside because they want something sensational, something that was going to fire people up for no other reason but ratings or, or for firing people up. And so wisdom isn't always celebrated. Why is this important to know? It's, it's important to know the path of the wise is one that's less celebrated because if we're receiving the applause of the world, we need to be cautious. It may not be a bad thing, but just because we're receiving the applause of the world doesn't mean we're walking on the path of wisdom. All right, let's keep going. Solomon's got a lot more to get here. All right, verse 8 and 9. This is kind of an interesting list that Solomon just lays down here. He who digs a pit will fall into it. I did not know that. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He, will, he who quarries stone is, stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Kind of an odd phrase to hear. You know, someone, I'm going to go split some, split some logs to the fireplace. You are now endangered by the logs you are splitting. But basically, what he's talking about is that all these things, everyday things you would do uh, in life. Now, you may say, well, when's the last time I, I broke through a wall? I mean, again, he's looking around in his context. And, and why would a snake be why you would, you know, why that be something you'd point out? Well, where he is, that would be something more prevalent as snakes would be hiding in the, the, the cool of the rocks that would be used to build the wall. Uh, basically, what we see here is, again, he's building on this, this life is uncertain. But he's saying that there is danger and risk to every aspect of life. Even if you're out there just working, you've got to dig a ditch, you have to chop some wood, uh, move some stones, that there is a chance to get hurt. There is a risk involved. When I was a kid, my dad had pulled some stumps uh, out of our yard, and they were kind of pulled up on end. And they're, they're just small enough that the garbage man would probably take them if we could lighten them up. We need to get all the dirt out of this rip ball. And so he hands me a, a potato fork. Uh, I didn't even know that's what it was called. Um, I could be wrong, he, you know, but he told me it was a potato fork. It's basically a, a pitchfork with flat, wide tines. And so imagine a pitchfork with those long skin, but now make them flat and wide so the gaps between them are, are a little more narrow. And he said, can you knock out some of the dirt from the rip ball? And so I'm, I'm knocking down on this thing, and I'm just you know, being uh, a little careless. I was in junior high at the time. I wasn't really paying attention. And uh, so I actually maybe in grade school, but whatever. Um, and so I, this one time I go down, I catch a root, and like two seconds later, it snaps. And so I'm still kind of in this downward motion, and I go down like this. I look down, and the crossbar of the potato fork is all the way to my shin. I look behind me, and the tines are all poking out behind me. And I'm like, well, this can't be good. And I just feel pressure. I mean, it doesn't feel good. I, I just feel pressure because I know the space between the tines is about this wide, and my leg is about that wide with where I got it. I'm like, this, this can't be good. And my dad's not too far, and he sees the look of my face. I'm kind of turning away a little bit. And he comes over, and he just grabs my leg and grabs a fork and slowly pulls away and, and just by the grace of God, it just completely missed me. 
Each time went on either side. It was a little scratch on either bit. And I could have gone right into, you know, done some serious damage. Um, but no, just kind of straddled you know, either side of my leg. But here's something as harmless as they knock some dirt off those roots. And it could have caused major damage. That's all he's saying. That there is risk involved. Anything worth doing has risk. Often the path that we would choose, um, the path of, of a fool, lots of people choose that over the path of the wise because there's less risk. If you're just sitting in your house doing nothing, you're less likely to get hurt than if you're out doing something, choosing the path of the wise. But everything worth doing has some kind of risk. He continues here, if the iron is blunt or firm like an axe or a tool you'd be using to cut something, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. I think two things he's adding to the, the conversation here. The first is this. The wise have a plan to walk their path. If we're walking this path of wisdom, there is a plan that we need to have and, and, and follow it. He said, hey, if you've ever worked with a blade before, you know one of the easiest ways to have an accident, one of the easiest ways to cut yourself or someone else or, or to cut more than you're trying to cut whatever it is you're working on, is to have a dull blade. Because when you have a dull blade, the blade's not doing any work for you. It's, it's flat. And so you're having to put an extra energy, and you can't control your swings or your slices or whatever you're doing as well. And the blade is less effective, and so it's not as a smooth of a process, and you're stumbling over things. And so he's basically saying, if it's dull, you need to sharpen it. You need to use your wisdom, and that wisdom will help one to succeed. You need to have a plan for what you're going to do. Okay, well, I need to stop. and I need to sharpen it at this point. Okay, now it's good to go again. And I know after X amount of logs I split, it's going to be dull again. So my plan is to every you know, half hour to stop and resharpen the blade so I can keep a good process going. In the same way, if we're going to walk a path of wisdom, we need to have a plan. But I think in so many aspects of life, we're, we're like that fool that just keeps chopping away just keeps doing the same thing again and again and is expecting more and more progress. Think about the different areas of your life that you'd want to grow in. Whether it be you just want to be healthier overall, maybe there's some relationships in your life that you want to see them be in a healthier position, maybe there's a lot of infighting um, or talking behind people's backs or gossip. Um, maybe they're just in your own spiritual growth. You know, I, I wish I knew more about who God is. I wish I felt closer to him. I wish I was able to talk about why I believe that Jesus is God and why I trust in him for the forgiveness of my sin. I wish I knew how to pray out loud or I was comfortable doing that. What is an area of your life that you desire to grow? Do you feel like you're the fool who's just swinging the dull axe expecting a different result? I think there's times we just get stuck in this place where we just keep doing the same thing. We don't change anything up, and it doesn't produce anything different. We need to have a plan to stop and sharpen the axe. What does that look like? Well, in the case of growing spiritually, maybe it has a plan to say, okay, well, I'm going to read blank. Fill it in what it is for you. Maybe it's, I'm going to read one or all of the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. It's basically four different authors sharing their perspective on the story of Jesus, the birth, life, and death of Jesus. So you say, I, mean, I want to start there. I want to learn more about who Jesus is. Or maybe you say, you know, I want to just try to read the Bible from cover to cover. Or I'm going to try to find some books that will help me understand it that I can read as a, as a companion to that. 
Maybe you say, my plan is to join a group, whether it be a serving group or, or a home group. My plan is to partner with someone who's gone before me, who's further down the road than I am, who's grown in the ways I desire to grow so I can ask them how they did it, so I can seek wisdom from them. Maybe your plan is, hey, I'm going to gather some others around me who are like-minded so we can encourage one another and spur each other on. But have a plan. Then we look at this little bit here about the serpent bites before it's charmed. We see the wise use their plan. It may sound silly, but I think we need to emphasize that. It's one thing to put the plan together. It's another to put it into motion and do something with it. Do you know what kind of a snake charmer doesn't charm a snake? A dead one. That's basically what he's saying. Well, what good is it to have all the skills to charm a snake if you bust a snake out before you've charmed it and it bites you? Snakes have all that wisdom to know how to control and charm the snake, but if he doesn't use it, he's going to get bit, and then he's dead. So we need to have a plan, and then we need to put it into action. We need to ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? What's holding us back from putting these steps into place? If you're like, Steve, I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure what to do. What does it look like to put my plan into action? Well, for one, those things I listed off could be taking the first step in that, whether joining a group or partnering with someone or putting a reading plan together. But sometimes it's taking steps in areas of our life that we know that God has already called us to. Sometimes there's general aspects of our life that God's word has already spoken on, you know, different moral things where you say, what kind of life should I live? As a follower of Christ, we were called to die to ourselves and, and to live for Christ by serving others. We're called to love God and to love others you can see a theme in there to have our focus on God and our focus on caring for others. And so already we can see, okay, well, how should I live my life? What does it look like? We can see in God's word in many ways, this is what the life of a Christ follower should be. But I think we desire that same amount of clarity when it comes to everyday decisions in life. When it comes to bigger decisions about uh, where should I live? Where should I work? Who should I be with? Who should I marry? What school should I go to? Where, uh, you know, how, what should I wear today? And sometimes we want that same level of clarity that we can find in Scripture about how to live a moral life that would honor God. In fact, as rarely do we hear that from God. I think sometimes we use that as something that gets us stuck, right? We just sit and we're like, I'm waiting to hear from you, God. I'm waiting to hear from you. Well, I think God's saying to you, go. If it's this school or that school, you know what? I'm good with them both. Go, go after one. Bring it to God in prayer. And then unless you are finding one is going to dishonor him, then which one do you want to do? The analogy I love to give in this circumstance, it's like my kids saying, Dad, can I go play? And I say, yes, go play in the backyard. That's my one uh, parameter. I want you to stay in the backyard. Well, okay, Dad, do you want me to play in the sandbox? I don't care. Well, what about the swings? That's fine. Well, should I go color with a chalk on the sidewalk? You can do whatever you want. Just play in the backyard. Imagine sending your kid out to do that and just seeing them sit in the middle of the grass doing nothing. What's wrong, honey? Well, you didn't tell me to play with a toy. I said you could play with anyone you want, but which one should? I? That, that, that's, we get stuck in that rut with God sometimes where we're, we're looking for that clear message. On, you know, we want to open up our Facebook and have a message from God that says, okay, here's the plan for the day. But we don't get that. So let's have a plan and use that plan to take those steps forward. We can hold it before God with an open hand. We can seek his word to see what would it inform us about the decisions we should make. And then beyond that, let's pursue the desires of our heart that he has placed 
in there. What are we waiting for? Too often we expect that same clarity. But too often God's already put a desire in our heart that we can pursue. All right, verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, uh, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after. So we see here the wisdom is, is the words of the wise bring favor. If we want to walk a path of wisdom, we can see that the words of the wise bring favor. You can know a lot by someone's words. You know, in one sense, this might be a caution. Where Solomon is cautioning us against foolishness. Hey, if you don't want to be a fool, then, then be mindful of your words. I think he's also telling us how to identify a fool. If we're looking for someone to walk with in life and to say, how, you know, let, let's spur one another on, we want to grow together, you know, we don't want to align ourselves with the fool who's going to lead us down a path of folly. So I think he's also sharing, here's what to look for. I like this, what starts off uh, as just a little off quickly turns crazy with a fool when it comes to their words. Do you know anybody like that? Where they say something, it's like, well, that's kind of odd. And they keep talking, and it's like, oh, they're crazy. And you try to separate yourself almost from them. Uh, I used to be a, a surveyor at one point. I was working in a survey company, well, we, a, part of a church plant down in Lombard. And um, part of my goal in there was just to get to know the, my different uh, co-workers and the employees. And want, want, I just want to share my faith with them. I want to let them know why we were in Lombard. We were planting this church. And um, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so part of that is just building relationships, getting to know different people. And so there's a time where I, I was talking to one of the, the people in the office. And one of my uh, fellow crewmen uh, who work out in the field had come in and he had to get something uh, done in the office too. And so we're both standing there. And, and somehow we got in a conversation about purity. And all of a sudden he interjects and he says, you know, I, I don't think you, sh- you shouldn't even hold hands if you're in a relationship. Okay, a little off. And then it gets crazy. Yeah, my, my wife and I, we are dating. We never held hands for the longest time. And then one day we held hands and wound up in bed. You're saying that, that just going from holding hands wound up to sex? I, and I'm like trying to like step away from him a little bit. Like, okay, we're both saying that, hey, let's talk about Christianity, but I don't know what he's talking about over here. And I'm like trying to make that separation. And so I think part of this is Solomon's trying to say, hey, be on the lookout. Here's how you identify someone who's foolish. But be, instead, be intentional with your words because they can bring favor. In the same way, at work, I made a decision that I was going to speak well of my employees and that there's just, there was a language that was used out in the field that I just wasn't going to entertain. I wasn't going to swear as best I could. There were some times where I let one fly, and, and some intentionally, some not. Um, but I, I really wanted to set myself apart in that. Um, and there's one guy I was working with who was like, come on, Steve, swear, swear. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm making a decision not to. And he's like, fine, I'll swear for you. And he just listed a whole bunch off. But then I had a conversation with that same gentleman. Because of the decision I had made to be intentional with my words, I found favor with him. I gained his trust. And I was able to have some great spiritual conversations with him. And one in particular I always love because if you look at the Apostle Paul, he refers to sin as dung. It's a very strong swear word that's probably the best translation that we could have into our language. Um, And that's how I use it. That's what I said when I was talking to him. It didn't even faze him that I had sworn because we're having such a, just a deep spiritual conversation. I was so grateful for it. I, I wanted to be weight behind that word. is why I chose it. And it was just so cool because when we are careful with our words, they bring favor when we're walking the path of, the, of wisdom. 
Psalm continues here in verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Uh, you ever try to find your way somewhere? You know where you're going is west. Okay, so I keep driving west. I'll get there eventually. And then you're like, well, I should have been here by now. I wonder if I passed it. Well, when you do that, what happens? If you don't know where you're going, you end up circling back. You end up going back over paths you've already gone over before. If you don't know how to get somewhere, you're going to be going in circles. And that's basically what Solomon's saying here, is a fool will tire out because he doesn't know where he's going in life. He doesn't have direction, doesn't have purpose. So we can conclude all, uh, that, that if we're going to walk a path of wisdom, that we would know where we're going. So the question here is, do you know where you're going in life? Do you know where you're going? What, what, what are the focuses of your life? For me, first is, is pursuing God. Second is, is loving my wife. And then is raising up my children. Then after that is, is, is loving others, loving my neighbor. One of the things I'm, I'm passionate about is the local church. I want to see uh, not only our local church, but all local churches. I want to see them grow in health. I want to see them multiply and plant other churches. I want to see disciples who are equipped to change lives in Christ, where they're sharing Christ with others and they're seeing lives changed. I want to see people's lives that have been changed. I want to see them grow as a disciple of Jesus and then go and share that with someone else. Those are the kind of things that I'm passionate about. They get me fired up. What are you passionate about? If you feel like, hey, Steve, I, I, I don't know if I have any passion in my life right now. I'd encourage you to ask God to see the world through his eyes. Ask him, help me help you to see the world through his eyes. To see this world anew. To see where there's injustices that need a champion to stand up and say, I may not be able to solve the whole problem, but I can solve this part right here. Be passionate about that. Maybe it's something very special and, and localized in your own life. It's something doing, it has to do with just your family. Maybe God is going to use you in a way in your community or in the nation or in the world. I don't know. But do you have a, a place in mind, a, a passion in mind? Do you know where you're going, what you're chasing after in life? A fool has no clue where they're going. That kind of leads to what we see here in uh, verse 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of, of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. See, the second king is a is son of nobility. He knows where he's going. He's going to be the king eventually. and He's got to care for his people. And so his feasts are at night. After a day's work, they're celebrating the work that they had done. They're getting nourishment to be able to go work again tomorrow. But the foolish king, he feasts in the morning. He wakes up and says, time to party. Getting drunk, and his, you know, his eternal motto is that, if I, is that it's 5 o'clock somewhere. The path of the wise is one of self-discipline. Being able to say, hey, first we've got to get some stuff done, and then we can celebrate, then we can get some nourishment. I'm kind of zip through these because I'm running low on time. But uh, verse 18, uh, through sloth, the roof sinks in and through in, in, into, oh, I knew I was going to do this. I looked up this word because there was a new one for me. Uh, indolence, the house leaks. So sloth is referring to this reluctance to work. So basically saying, if you're reluctant to work, the roof will begin to sink in. Things will start to break. Indolence is this a lack of activity. Both translate as lazy but that sloth is a reluctance to work. Then it says, hey, once you have this lack of it, what happens? That's when the roof begins to leak. I thought this question, what makes a roof leak? Besides an act of God, what makes a roof leak? 
And the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, honestly, ultimately, it's laziness. Yeah, you can make an argument, well, I didn't know this. But if, if you are caring for a roof, and it begins to leak, and there wasn't this massive damage of a tree falling on it or something, it's because there was a slothfulness attitude there, or there was um, an indolence where it was, I, I just, I don't want to deal with it. And eventually it gets to the point, if we continue in that laziness where uh, the roof is leaking over our head, and we just finish our beer and set the empty beer can where the leak's coming through. I mean, that's kind of the picture that he's painting here. When we have no clue where we're going in life, we have no self-discipline, the fruit of this kind of life is laziness that leads nowhere. There's a country song by Alison Krauss called The Boy Who Wouldn't Hoe Corn. And, and as you go through the lyrics of this song, basically there's a young man who plants his field, and, and the corn comes up, and, and he just doesn't get out to do anything with it. And eventually frost comes, and he loses the whole field. And everyone else can see this. this you know, he can't go hoe his own corn. And then has this line where it says, he's going to the neighbor young lady. He says, uh, hey, would you be interested in, in, in courting? And she says, single I am and will remain. A lazy man I won't maintain. We see this picture of uh, this, this life of a fool leads nowhere and leads to nothing. You see, we were made on purpose with a purpose. And the, it, what's interesting, if you look at creation, yes, that there's consequences of our sin. But some people would say, oh, the consequences work. Well, no. We, we had to work before sin entered the picture. So part of our purpose is to go and work, to, to do things, to have purpose in our life, to accomplish things. Part of our purpose is to walk with God. You saw that in the garden, where they would walk with God in the garden. It's also to walk with others, where God made Adam and said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so the path of the wise is one action so the path of the wise is one of self-discipline path of the wise is one of action we're also going to see here the path of the wise uh, is not only accomplished in action but also in thought uh, verse 19 bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything uh, verse 20 even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter uh, verse 19 is a confusing one. It's a, it's a challenging one to figure out. The, uh, the bread he's talking about is dinner. Dinner is made for laughter. Wine gladdens. Life's kind of eat, drink, and be merry. And this line here, and money answers everything. At first glance, if we just look at that, like, well, is that really all it takes? Okay, well, how much money do I need to get into heaven? You know, I'll just go for that. That's, that's not what it's saying. That's not what, what the, the point is here. Again, this is still kind of in this context talking about these two kings, uh, the, the, one, uh, the, the foolish one and the wise one. And if we look at it in that perspective, we can say, okay, well, the one king who's working and trying to build uh, things up for his town and for his people, money answers the needs there. So as he works and earns, then yes, that would answer the needs of the community. And for the one who's not working, well, if he would work, then money would bring about uh, the opportunity that he would need. So you can almost see that as saying money can bring opportunity. But I, I want you to look at verse 20 there. It's even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. It's kind of the, the phrase, well, little birdie told me, here's what I heard about you. The path of wise isn't just one of action, but one of thought as well. Uh, I know we kind of zip through this, there's a lot, and at one hand they seem to just kind of these random statements that Solomon is making, but here's what I want you to hear. Oh, I want you to hear this last thing. If you're not off, that's fine. I've been there before myself. Nudge the person next to you if they are. This is the one thing that, that, that I want you 
to here, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've been through. You can start today if you haven't already. You can continue. You can take strides today if you've already been walking with God to pursue wisdom, to pursue a life that brings him glory and honor. Yes, in Christ we're forgiven. In Christ we have eternal life. But he's saying, okay, in light of that, here's how we go and live. If you're here this morning as a non-Christian, know that wisdom works. Even if it's not praised or acknowledged by our world, know that wisdom works. For those who are followers of Christ, know that wisdom honors God, blesses others, and serves to achieve purpose. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning, this chance we have to come together. I pray that you would grant us all wisdom in the areas of our life that we're longing for, Father. As we think about some of the foolish things we've done in life and the foolish uh, things we've allowed to remain in our life, help us to root those out, Father God, and replace them with your wisdom. Help us to, to come to know your word more, Father, as we seek for what you would say in different aspects of our lives. Help us to make decisions, Father, in areas of our life where we've been holding back for fear of risk and danger, for fear of uh, not knowing uh, what you would have for us, but maybe we're just waiting for that, that really clear letter from you that we're less than likely to receive. Let us be a people who move forward in boldness and walk the, the path of righteous, path of wisdom as we seek to follow you with every day we have, Father. In your name, amen.